with us for the last several months. We have been working through a book by John Ortberg called The Life You've Always Wanted. Now we're going to take a, a break from books, sort of, for a little bit. And uh, if you've already stopped by the table or if you notice the large stack I have right beside me, um, I have purchased for you to be able to purchase some resources to help you walk through or understand the book of Revelation in a better way. I think all of us need to understand the book of Revelation in a better way. And I've been studying it for several months, and I reach out to a friend of mine who teaches at AGTS. It's the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary in, in Missouri. And I always ask him for resources, uh, podcasts, sermons, books. And uh, I reached out to him for some advice on books from the book of Revelation, or to help study the book of Revelation. And uh, I love to read. I love to interact with other people. I have a private Facebook group that I'm, I'm in with some other people where we share the books we're reading, interact about that. Uh, that's how I hear sometimes from a lot of books. And I know everyone personally in that group. Sometimes they don't know each other, but I know all of them. And so I trust them and what they're reading. And uh, that's how I kind of grow in my faith. I know there is this mindset out there that I don't need other books. I just need the Bible. Um, if that were true, you wouldn't be here today listening to me preach a sermon, you would just be at home with your Bible. Uh, we need other people in the body of Christ to help us understand the Word or to see the Word from a perspective that is not our own and to let the Holy Spirit speak through them. So other books are helpful to us in understanding the Scripture. Uh, that would be how I see it. So um, I've purchased a couple of them and they're only going to be available through September. We're going to be talking from the book of Revelation next week and on September 25th and looking at some of that a little bit. But if you're interested, you can pick those up out on the table. All of them, they are not our normal um, popular reading books. Okay, These are more thoughtful. Uh, I hate to use the word textbook-like. Um, but they are just definitely not the book that you're going to sit down and read with a cup of coffee and just, you're going to have to sometimes read it twice or you're going to have to stop and say, what exactly did that say? But sometimes that's how we learn and grow. Now, not all of them are that way, but most of them are. So there are three books on the table, but the first one that I'm going to put up on the screen is called The Apo Apocalyptic Imagination by John Collins. Um, if you have the idea that the book of Revelation or books like Ezekiel or Daniel that contain what we call apocalyptic literature are to be, to be read like every other piece of literature, uh, I would think that's incorrect. Because I think apocalyptic literature is a type of literature, and for us to understand what it's saying, we have to understand why it's written and what it means. And John Collins has done a great job of describing that, helping us understand that. Um, that book is not on the table, but you can find it on Amazon. You can find it at most bookstores, and so that's available. There's a book out there called Imagining the Future, and that's by Daniel Isgrig. That book is about the origin, development, and the future of Assemblies of God eschatology. So for those of you that have been in the Assemblies of God a long time and think maybe we have always thought the same way about end times events, uh, that's not really true. Our end times events theology has changed over the years. And so he traces the origin of it, how it's grown and changed over the years and what it really is. Uh, when I read this book, I was surprised by what we believe. 
And I'm an Assemblies of God pastor. I don't know if I should say that on video, but there we are. Um, I thought we believed pretty black and white. It had to be one way, but our theology is actually a little broader than I once believed. And I'm actually glad for that. And so I, was, I, I loved reading that book. There's another book out there called Reading Revelation Responsibly by Michael Gorman. This is probably the easiest book to read that's on that table. And Michael Gorman basically helps us understand the book of Revelation in a way that most of us have not grown up with. Most of us grew up with the idea that the book of Revelation is like a linear telling of events that's going to happen. And he produces this idea that it's more of a circular repeating of events that have happened in the past that are happening in the present and will also happen in the future. And we will be looking at some of that over the next couple of weeks when we get into the book of Revelation, but that one is out there for you as well. And then last but not least is the book Surprised by Hope by N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright is a British scholar. He's a British believer. He's Anglican. And this book, when I read it, it took me several months to work my way through it, um, but really shocked me... <laughs> as to how many people in the body of Christ that may be on the surface I would have dismissed are absolutely brilliant in understanding the Scripture and helping me understand the Scripture. He talks about the mission of the church, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Most of us in the Christian church don't understand what the resurrection is all about. We think the resurrection is just about a future event for us. And the resurrection of Jesus, Paul talks about it in present tense. I want to know the power of the resurrection. There is something for us today. And we preach a gospel that really just centers on the death and the crucifixion of Jesus. And we, we mention the resurrection, but we don't understand how that affects our daily lives. Well, that's what N.T. Wright is writing about. What that, why that matters and what that is all about. So... Those books are available through the month of September. We will not be covering them or reading them together. They are just resources that I've made available. I know some of you hate reading and you're not going to pick them up and you will not offend me at all. I make no profit off of any of these books. And so uh, I just need to make sure we send them back before we're fully charged for them. That's why they're only available through the month of September. So if you are interested, stop by, check them out, and then you can pick them up. But for now, over the next two weeks, we're going to do something that I don't normally do, and that is we're going to talk calendar. Um, what I mean is I don't necessarily preach according to our calendar. I don't preach um, necessarily a Mother's Day sermon on Mother's Day or Father's Day on Father's Day. Uh, I just tend to preach whatever series we're on or whatever I feel like the Lord is directing. Um, often I will uh, change from that and we will talk about a holiday as it comes but that's not the norm but over the next two weeks there are two holidays that we celebrate here in america and we're going to tie them in to the things that i'm going to share over the next couple weeks and i don't know why i felt like the lord was leading us to do that but that's what we're going to do and so today i titled the message work as unto the lord work as unto the lord and if you've got a bible we're going to go to colossians chapter 3 verses 23 and 24 now, Labor Day is what we're going to celebrate tomorrow here in America. And Labor Day is celebrated the first Monday of September, and it has been since 1894. Now, the Labor Day movement actually started before that because when it became a federal holiday in 1894, 30 different states were already celebrating it. And Labor Day is about recognizing the... Did you try it? Sheesh, Siri didn't get that. I'm going to try it again. 
Um, Labor Day is about recognizing and honoring and remembering the laborer, the worker, their accomplishments, what they bring. And so it's a day off for many people, but as we were joking in the, the lobby before service, unfortunately not every laborer can get Labor Day off. Because somebody has to do the work on Labor Day still. And so, but the point of the holiday was for us to remember that the, especially as a nation, we owe a lot to the people who work day after day after day after day. Uh, there's a great country song by Alabama called the 40-Day Work Week. And we want to give thanks to the different laborers around the country that keep our country moving. And that's what that song is all about. That's what this holiday is all about. Uh, I found out that Labor Day is also celebrated the first Monday of September in Canada, our neighbors to the north. Um, also on the same, <laughs> only, only one of us was excited, um, but they also celebrated on the first Monday of September, and they also started celebrating it in 1894 officially. So um, that's odd because there's not a lot of holidays that overlap in the other countries of the world, but uh, for us here in the northern hemisphere, the northwest area here, we celebrate Labor Day in Monday. So, work unto the Lord. Paul writes these words in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. Whatever you do, work, labor, at it with all your heart, as working, laboring for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, I want you to understand that word Christ, we use it often. That means anointed one. That's a, a direct reference to the Messiah. Okay? So for the Jewish people, when they hear the word Christ, that's not Jesus' last name. That means Messiah, anointed one, the one that came to bring the kingdom of God. So that's an important term that we're going to come back to, and I just wanted to highlight it. Now, if you read this in context, you'll know that in verse 22, Paul is addressing slaves. He says, slaves, this is what you're to do, because he's addressed husbands and wives, and he's going to address children, but he also addresses slaves in the household. We don't have a lot of time to unpack that today, but let me just reference the fact that slavery in the Roman Empire is a little bit different. It's actually a lot different than the chattel type of slavery that was a part of our world during the colonial times. It wasn't just here in America, but even in Europe and other places. We were buying and selling people like property in a way, uh, mistreating them in a way that is not what was happening in the Roman Empire. We twisted during that time the scriptures in some ways. People who were Christians would twist the, the Bible in a way to make it appease them so that they could mistreat their slaves, their property, and they made it look like the Bible was supporting that, and that is absolutely not true. And so even though contextually and culturally this passage is written to slaves, maybe of a different sort than what our brain takes us to, I think it speaks to us and can apply to us even though we're not slaves. Peter will later chime in in his gospel or in his book that he writes, and Paul will also, that we shouldn't just as slaves obey our masters who are good to us, we should also obey those who are harsh to us. So it doesn't matter whether they're good or evil, whether they're mean or kind, we should obey them because we're not ultimately serving them, we're serving Christ. Both of them make that statement. Paul and Peter will also both talk to slave owners. Uh, 
and tell slave owners they should never mistreat their slaves. They should actually treat the, the ones that are believers as brothers in Christ. And so there's this tension that exists in this idea of slavery. But yes, none of them say that it should be totally abolished or in the form that it exists here in the Roman Empire, but it was seemingly addressed in that way. That's a different topic for another day, so we, we're not going to address it. That's as much as I'm going to share with you today. But if you want to talk more about it, man, let's have a cup of coffee and we can dive right into that. But Paul has written a letter to the church here in Colossae, uh, and this is the letter of Colossians. He, uh, I actually found this graphic this week. Why don't we throw that picture up there? When Paul writes a letter, um, this is generally his course. I found this. It starts with grace. I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel. For the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. Timothy says hi. Yeah, that's not really true, but I thought it was funny. Um, it's actually more true than, than we think, but um, that's not really the way Paul writes. But in essence, he's writing to a specific church, trying to help them to address a specific problem that they have, or problems in the case of the Corinthian church. And he's giving them two different things. He's giving them orthodoxy. He's giving them right belief, what to think about Jesus. And in the beginning chapters of Colossians and in the beginning chapters of Ephesians, the first half of both of those books, Paul really talks about how to believe about Jesus, what to believe about Jesus. And then the second half of the book, he goes into what we would call orthopraxy, what we should do or how we should behave as a result of our beliefs. Okay? So, in the, book of Ephes or in, the, in the book of Colossians, he's writing to a church in Colossae that we don't really know a lot about because the city of Colossae to this day is a mound of dirt. It's never been excavated. So we don't know as much about that city as we do other biblical cities like Ephesus or like Laodicea that is mentioned in the Scripture. But Colossae is kind of a mystery. We do know one thing about Colossae, and that is this. They, Paul is addressing this idea of Gnosticism that has crept into the church in Colossae. Now, Gnosticism is a really big topic that we're not going to be able to talk all about, but boiled down very, very simply, what a Gnostic believed was that the physical world was always evil and the spiritual world was always good. But if you pursued an enlightenment, you could escape the evil world and attain to a spiritual world. Plato was a Greek philosopher. He was taught by Socrates. And he had told an allegory of the cave, it's called. And in this allegory of the cave, what he demonstrates was everything that we see is just the shadows of the reality. They're not the real things. But through studying philosophy, you could attain to an enlightenment where you could really see the world as it was and you could come out from the shadows and you could have this special knowledge, the gnosis, thus the word Gnosticism, and you could see the world as it is. Now, Gnosticism has a lot of similarity with Christianity, but it also has a whole lot of difference. And what has happened is the idea of Gnosticism has crept into the church and Paul is going to address that. There are two main threads of Gnosticism because, because the physical world is evil and the spiritual world is good. Some would say everything you do in the body doesn't matter because it doesn't really exist. 
The flesh doesn't count for anything, so just do whatever you want. It won't matter. Your spirit is the only thing that matters. There's another form of Gnosticism, which is probably what's being done here in Colossae, is that the way to get enlightened is actually to restrict your body. So the more you stop doing things with your flesh and resist those things, the more enlightened you will become spiritually and you can grow. Now that really seems to fit a lot with Christianity, and that's what this church in Colossae was really starting to buy into. This idea that the, the, the view of life or the view of the afterlife, the spiritual life, would come to those that would restrict their bodies in a certain way. Now, that, again, a lot of similarities with Christianity, but we know that we don't gain anything spiritually by restricting our bodies. Anything we have spiritually comes through Jesus. Amen. But we do restrict our bodies because some of the things that our bodies want to do are not good, and they lead to, a, to death. That's what Scripture says. So we do restrict them. They don't bring a greater enlightenment because enlightenment comes from Jesus. And that's what Paul addresses over and over and over again in the book of Colossians. I want to read one verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 before we get into the book of Colossians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is talking about the resurrection. Whenever we think about the resurrection, again, we always think future tense. Out there, someday, heaven, uh, what's going to happen after we die? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 talks more about resurrection than in any other part in the entire Bible. But the verse, the, the chapter ends with this verse. Brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Some translations will translate that in the Lord or do the work of the Lord. I don't like those translations as much because what happens is we start to view the world in this dichotomy where some things are secular and, secular and some things are sacred, where there's a Lord's work and then there's other work. Can I tell you, I believe as a follower of Christ, there is no Lord's work and my work. It's only the Lord's work. Because if I am surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, every part of my life now becomes His work. Everything. There's not a secular music and a sacred music. There's music. And anything I listen to should be for the Lord. Where we get in trouble is we sometimes think that when Paul is saying work in the Lord or do the Lord's work, he's talking about evangelism or pastoral ministry or uh, missionary work. But that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all that his resurrection means for us in this life, work enthusiastically everything you do for the Lord. All of it. Just the same way that he's saying it in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. N.T. Wright, in his book, Surprised by Hope, talks a lot about Gnosticism and what it means. And I wanted to use a quote by him, but uh, his quotes sometimes are hard to understand. So I found someone who's a little simpler, and his name is Tony Scarcello. Uh, you don't know Tony Scarcello. I know him very little, but this is what he said. For many, Christianity is simply bidding 
biding our time and sinning as little as possible on earth until we can get to heaven. This idea finds its root more in the philosophy of Plato and the pagan Gnostic religion than it does in biblical and historic Christianity. Gnosticism was condemned as heresy by the early church. Gnosticism contends that all material matter is ruled by a lesser divinity and Christ came to liberate the human spirit from the prison of their earthly bodies. That sounds like Christianity, huh? This flies in the face of God breathing His Spirit into the nostrils of humanity, giving life to the marriage of the material and the divine. We are breathed upon dirt, part of creation. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa what about our sin nature? You're true. But can I tell you, you cannot live or breathe or move without the breath of God. Every human being, even though born in a sinful state, has the breath of God in them. It doesn't mean they're a believer. It doesn't mean that they don't have to confess their sins and repent. But it means that there's a breath of God in all life. Because we could not exist without it. It's what He did in the garden, and it's what He continues to do today. If God ceased to exist, or God stepped away from us as human beings, we would not live. He is the air we breathe. Whether we believe it or not, He is. Jesus taught His followers to pray for the will and the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. Elsewhere, He tells His listeners, the kingdom of God is among you. There was once a time, listen, there was once a time where the church was known for its scandalous love, radical service, and vision, vision of societal innovation. Schools, hospitals, orphanages, and social work all find their origins on the backs of faithful Christ followers. Jesus did not merely tell us about the kingdom of heaven. He showed it to us and invited us to participate in it. We see this in the ways Jesus brought healing everywhere he went. He brought healing by resurrecting the dead, forgiving the unforgivable, eating meals with the ones pushed to the edges of society, praising the faith of folks from other religions, demonstrating a God who is for all people. Jesus showed us what God's like, and that's some good news. Now, that statement does not say all religions lead to Jesus and God. No, it didn't say that. But it does say that Jesus praised the faith of people even when that faith wasn't in God. We sometimes separate the sacred and secular in a way that I don't believe the Bible does. And we do it to a disservice where we start thinking only about our sweet by and by and we forget to make an impact on the world today. And today, we talk, when you talk about the idea of a social gospel, people get all up in arms. Oh, there's no social gospel. You're correct. There is no social gospel. There's a gospel. And the gospel of the kingdom of God that Jesus preached contains a societal element that brings about schools, that brings about uh, social work, that brings about hospitals, that makes a difference in the injustices that are happening in our day. And somehow, along the way, we have been into this lie that we just live for eternity once one day and the resurrection doesn't really matter as much as it should right now in our day and we read the bible through that lens and i don't think that's what the bible's talking about that's what gnosticism teaches this dualistic approach to life the sacred and the secular divide the apostle paul 
confronts this right away at the beginning of the letter to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, For this reason, from the day we heard about you, we have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge. There's Gnosticism. When you read the book of Colossians, look for words like knowledge, look for words like special, words like revelation, words like shadow, words like flesh. Because all of that is Paul going after this idea of Gnostic teaching that has crept into the church, and he's trying to set it right. That God would fill you with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live lives worthy of the Lord and please Him in all respects. The knowledge is not through our pursuit of anything. The knowledge comes from God. When we turn to Him, He gives us the knowledge. He gives us the revelation. We don't earn it. We don't buy it. We don't get it from Him other than by grace because we've asked for it. And that knowledge, that wisdom that He gives us helps us to bear fruit in our lives. It helps us to grow in every good deed and it helps us to grow in our knowledge of God. We are strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness. Oh, we've talked about endurance. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light he delivered us. He delivered us from the power of darkness. Do you notice that's in present tense? It does not say He will one day deliver us from the power of darkness when Jesus comes back to take His bride home. No, it says He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have present tense already been transferred into the kingdom of God. Many of us have been taught to view the kingdom of heaven is out there or up there. And Jesus taught, Paul taught, that the kingdom of heaven exists right now, overlapping the kingdom of the world, anywhere the temple of God, His Spirit, is. And our job as His saints is to build His kingdom on the earth. Oh yes, a day is coming when one day, when the fullness of His kingdom will arrive. But until it does, we live in the kingdom today. Now, every part of our lives is about the kingdom of God. Again, we've taught that the gospel is all about the forgiveness of sin so you can go to heaven. That's not the fullness of the gospel. It's a part of the gospel. Paul says it right here. Part of the gospel is the forgiveness of sins that we have. But the gospel is that the kingdom has come. The gospel is that Messiah has come and He has already set up His kingdom and called you and I to live in it. And we live in it by bringing healing. We live in it by raising the dead. We live in it by calling those on the margins of society to sit at our table and have a meal with us. To give them dignity and honor. We call it by serving the poor. We... we build the kingdom by all of these things and they're all included in the gospel because it's not the gospel of salvation to go to heaven it's the gospel of the kingdom oh that's good stuff Colossians chapter 1 continuing on he is the image Jesus is the image of the invisible God 
He's not a shadow. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. All things in heaven and on earth were created in Him. All things, whether visible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, all things were created through Him and for Him. He Himself is before all things, and all things, there's a reason. He's going after this Gnostic teaching of some things. All things are held together in Him. The people who reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior today are being held together by the God of the universe. It's the reality. Now they need to turn from their wicked ways just like all of us, but they are being held together by Him. He is also, verse 18, the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself may become first in all things. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in the Son, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, making peace through the blood in the, of the cross through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Oh. There is so much more that Paul goes into in Colossians chapter 2. Be careful not to allow anyone to captivate you through empty and deceitful philosophy that is according to human traditions and the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Can I just tell you here, can I pause for a second and say just because there's a Bible reference to it does not mean it's biblical. Just because there's a Bible reference does not make it biblical. If you've never heard the name Eckhart Tolle, Eckhart Tolle believes that all roads lead to God. And Eckhart Tolle uses tons of Scripture references in his books. And I promise you that he misuses almost all of them. Okay? So just attaching a Bible verse to something doesn't make it biblical. Okay? So, let's continue. For in Him, all the fullness in Jesus, the deity of God, lives in bodily form. Some of the church, remember, we read it in the New Testament, didn't believe Jesus could have come in the flesh because flesh was bad. Flesh was evil. Even though He was born of a virgin, He could not have been flesh. He looked like flesh, but if He was flesh, because all flesh is bad. All flesh is not bad. There is a part of our flesh, the sinful nature part, that is bad. All flesh is not bad. And yet we have been taught that sometimes when we view the world as good and evil, black and white, dualistically. You have been filled with Him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Look at this. In Him you were crucified. Not, however, with a crucifixion or circumcision. Excuse me, you were not crucified, you were circumcised. Not, however, with a circumcision performed by human hands, but by the removal of the fleshly body through the circumcision done by Christ. Present tense again. We've already been circumcised. We've had the removal of our flesh. Having been buried with Him in baptism, you have also been raised with Him through your faith in the power of God who has been raised from the dead. Do you, are you catching the present tense elements of these verses? Baptism is not just some nice tradition that we do. It's the power of God to say, I have cut away your flesh and I have raised you to life. You are now filled with the kingdom of God. Go build the kingdom. Go build my kingdom. Go put the world back together again, if you will. 
And I know that we could look at it and say, well, it's futile. We're never going to do it until Jesus comes. But that shouldn't stop us from working with all of our heart for the Lord. Everything we do. It's not a nine-to-five job. I'm doing it for the Lord. I'm putting the world back together. I'm serving my country. I'm serving my neighbor. I'm serving my boss. And I don't care if my boss recognizes me or not. I don't care if, if my boss praises me or not. I don't care if my boss is mean or kind. I am working for the Lord Christ, the Messiah, the King of the world. He is the King. He is reigning over all the earth. My boss doesn't reign over the earth. The President doesn't reign over the earth. No political leader reigns over the earth. Jesus Christ now reigns over the earth. He doesn't reign over heaven. He reigns over all of it. The kingdom of heaven overlaps the kingdom of the earth and it's all His. So everything I do in the body, I can do for Him. Now, if the Word says it's evil, I can't do that for Him. I get it. But not everything we do in the body is evil. So sometimes we're like, well, you know, you always have to do religious things. You always have to go to church. You always, like, if you serve in a community organization, you're not doing the Lord's work. False! If you serve in a community organization to better, the king, the better your community, you're doing the Lord's work. Do it for the Lord. Build the kingdom. Either I have totally overwhelmed you with Gnosticism and teaching or you are so overwhelmed by what I have presented to you that you just don't know what to say. Let me share another quote with you from my friend Tony. Jesus calls his disciples, Jesus' call to his disciples is one in which we are instructed to clothe the poor, feed the hungry, welcome the foreigner, visit the prisoner, comfort the sick. It's a call to love and bless your enemies, to take up your cross daily, to lose your life in order to find it, and to live as servants in the world. Pistis, that word pistis is the word faith. That's the Greek word faith. So by grace you have been saved through faith. Pistis is not merely a call to faith. It is also a call to faithfulness. That word that we translate faith can also be translated faithfulness or can be translated dedication or piety towards. So becoming a Christian, being saved by faith, is not simply a matter of trust. It's a commitment to living life in your context as a healing presence in the world. It is both seeing all the ways in which shalom has been disrupted and restoring it. One last verse I want us to pick apart, and then I'm going to release you. Colossians chapter 3. So Paul has moved from right belief to right practice. And look at what he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since you have been raised to new life in Christ. Catch it? You have already been raised to new life in Christ. It's a resurrection promise right there. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. I chose this translation specifically because a lot of translations will say, set your minds on things above. And what do we think of when we set our minds on things above? We think of heaven, where Jesus is up there, seated at the right hand of the Father, and they're in heaven. Where did Jesus say the kingdom of heaven is? At hand. 
I'm not denying that there's a literal heaven somewhere out there, up there, out there, further away. But when we start translating the scriptures as set your mind on things above. Think about, you can hang on because one day you're going to walk on streets of gold. Hang on until, no, set your mind on the realities of heaven. Because you want to bring the realities of heaven into your workplace. You want to bring the realities of heaven into your home. You want to bring the realities of heaven into your school. You want to bring the realities of heaven everywhere you go. So don't just set your minds on some glad day when you fly away. Set your minds on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. That's not just a location. That's a value. It doesn't mean that Christ is just literally in a place out there. That's not what Paul's referencing. Paul is saying on the earth today, the kingdom of heaven coexists on the kingdom of earth and Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father reigning over the kingdom of heaven in your life, in your sphere, in your circle, in your workplace. And you can live like it. You can live like it. But you have to get your mind off of the things of earth and get your mind on the realities of heaven. Think about things above. When we read in Isaiah chapter 55, as, as far as the heavens are above the earth, my thoughts are higher than yours. It doesn't mean that God's thoughts are way up in heaven and we can't have them. God's like, you've got to bring your thoughts up to where mine are to the realities of the kingdom of heaven. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. When he says, work as unto the Lord, or work for the Lord, he's com coming against this idea that we compartmentalize our lives, that we compartmentalize our gospel, that we don't understand that we live for Jesus in this world, bringing the kingdom of God everywhere we go. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3, 23 and 24 again. Throw it up on the screen for us. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Whatever you do. What part of our lives is not included in whatever you do? None. Oh, we should never go to the movies. No, go to the movies. But in your mo going to the movies, in your celebration, in your entertainment... Do it for the Lord. Do it because there's a business owner in town that makes a living off of us watching a movie. So we go there and we give him money so that he can live, so that he can make a living. We interact with other people. We watch things on a screen. Now, should we pay attention to what we watch? Absolutely. We should pay attention to what we watch. But the idea, how many of you were raised, don't raise your hand, in the context where you couldn't go to the movies? That was sinful. It's not sinful. Now, there are sinful movies. And there are things that aren't sinful. You can appreciate what an unbeliever makes a movie that has a good plot and a good story. You can appreciate it. You can value it. You can talk to your coworkers about it. Because you're still doing the Lord's work. Whatever you do. Mowing your lawn is the Lord's work. Washing your windows is the Lord's work. Making meals for your family, that's the Lord's work. Working at your job, that's the Lord's work. Everything you do, why? Because you're serving your family, you're serving our community. We are 
bringing the kingdom everywhere we go. But, but it doesn't just stop at the physical. We bring another element as believers. We are bringing the kingdom to it. And so when I go to the movies, I'm not just there to entertain myself. I might have a divine appointment with someone else in the room. I might be able to interact with someone and minister to them while I'm there. I bring the kingdom everywhere I go. When we go to the fair, we don't just go to have a good time. We bring the kingdom everywhere we go, everything we do. So how should I work? Well, I should work is unto the Lord or for the Lord. Let me ask you this. When you go to work, if the Lord was standing with you, would he appreciate how much effort you're putting in? Would he appreciate how much on time you've been? Would he appreciate the way that you're doing the work? Because we're not doing it for someone else. We're doing it for him. And there's all kinds of reasons why we don't do our jobs well. But can I challenge you as believers? We ought to do our jobs the best. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ten times better than all of those around them, but I bet they weren't lazy. I bet they worked hard. Everything we do. If you're a part of a community organization, give it your best. Don't be someone that just shows up for the meetings. Throw yourself into it. Give it your best. If you're a volunteer at your kid's school, and if you're not, why aren't you? Be a volunteer at your kid's school and give it your best. Now, here's the danger. Some of you might hear this and you're like, well, Pastor Tom, I just can't get my best. I am overwhelmed right now. And I get it. There are seasons in our lives where our schedules get so full and responsibilities get thrust on us that we, and we're like, oh, man, he's preaching that I got to work harder. I got to give more. P please listen to me. That's not what I'm saying. It's not about working harder or giving more. It's giving your best. And in a season where maybe you have been overwhelmed by things that aren't your fault, whether it's a medical condition or whether it's a circumstance that's beyond your control, you still give your best in that season. You don't let apathy or discouragement say, well, I just don't care anymore. Now, some of us in the room can't give our best to things because we've said yes to too many things. Oh, preach this one for just a second. Because we overburden ourselves and our schedules and then we can't give our best to anything. And so for us, working for the Lord might be looking at our schedules and really saying, God, what do I got to cut out of that thing? Because nobody's getting my best. And that's not good for me or them. So there's a lot to wrestle with in Colossians chapter 3. And I hope you don't just hear me throwing more burdens on you that you got to be better at stuff. I hope you wrestle with some of the stuff that I've presented and what Paul is looking for here. But I want you to notice this. You receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. There's an aspect of that that's future an eternal reward. We, we joke about it in Christian circles all the time. I'm going to get an eternal reward. So I'm going to serve my boss. I'm going to do my best so I get a reward in heaven. That's a part of it. But there's a part of it in the here and now. Because if you want to be promoted in the kingdom, 
You want to grow in your knowledge of God. You want to get maybe a better position, if you will, in the kingdom. You got to be a servant. You got to be willing to serve and endure hardship. And if you go to work every day and you complain about your job and you complain about your boss and you give an apathetic, can I tell you this? You're not ready for promotion. But if you can serve willingly, if you can do beyond what's asked, that's not my job, that's somebody else's job. But I'm going to do it because I see it and I can. When you start serving in your community organization and at your kid's school and in your workplace, you set yourself up for promotion in the kingdom, the reward here and later. It's not just one or the other, it's both and. And so, Father, I thank you today for bringing us into the kingdom. Jesus, thank you for willingly coming to this earth and giving your life for us so that we could have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, so that we could be brought into the kingdom. And I pray that you would help us. As I prayed at the beginning of this service, God, to be able to see things from your perspective, to see things in a way that maybe we've never seen them before. God, stretch us as individuals, stretch us as a church to understand our role in building your kingdom right here, right now, in Huron, South Dakota. Show us how to do this in our workplaces, in our schools, in our community organizations, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our homes, wherever we are, to work for you. God, to give everything, to work with all of our hearts, knowing that we're not working for the praise of others. We're not working for reward from them. We're not working for recognitions here. We're doing it for you. You are the Messiah. You are the one over the kingdom of which we are citizens. Citizens of heaven. And help us to live like it here in this heaven on earth moment. Help us to bring the kingdom to places that we go all around this city throughout the day today, throughout the week ahead. God, help us to do everything we do as for you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I know that I, I really gave you some heady intellectual stuff today, but I hope I gave you some practical stuff to go with it. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to keep repeating some of these things. In fact, if you're a part of Restoration Church on a regular basis, this is who we are. This is where we're going as a church. This is what God is putting in our hearts to be a part of the restoration that he wants to bring to our community and to our world. So we're going to unpack it in the weeks ahead more and more. Like I said, there are books, there are other things on the table available to you today if you want to stop at the table before you go. Thanks for being with us today, for worshiping with us. It was a great day to have you here with us. Enjoy the rest of your Labor Day holiday and weekend, and I hope to see you on Wednesday night at Fire Pit Pizza or back here next Sunday morning again. God bless you as you go.